0: This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. And what they're
1: doing in this conversation is they're working out for themselves how to deliver great customer service without being given a bunch of thou shall do X, Y, and Z. They're working it out for themselves. There's no inspirational poster. You know, there's no acronym built out of the word success or anything like that right it's none of that it's
0: just them sharing stories and talking about it that's the voice of sean callahan he is the founder of anecdote a storytelling agency i'm your host adam jaffrey hey there i'm michael mommson So, Michael, today we are digging into storytelling. This is your... Oh,
2: it's a banger. It's a banger this episode.
0: (laughs) Way to tease it before we've even started. (laughs) It's that good though. So, this is uh, the 101 on storytelling. How to get storytelling right within your organization. How it can impact um, internal culture. How to sell initiatives internally with storytelling. And how to improve your customer experience with better storytelling.
2: Yeah, and look, all I'm going to say is um, storytelling is such a buzzword and it is the, definitely a business fad right now, but this episode busts through the fad and you will leave with a practical view of how to become a great storyteller to get initiatives across the line have better engagement with customers, and ultimately, increase your customer experience.
0: Absolutely. So, we started off by asking Sean, why is storytelling such a powerful way to impart a message?
1: As the world has got more complex and messy, and there's more and more messages and and ideas flying around, leaders were looking for ways to cut through. You know, and and get their message heard. The thing that I guess the storytelling does for you is that, as soon as you share a a real life example, um, people start to lean in, and they lean in partly because they can picture it actually happening. I was at a, a conference um, this this conference uh, yesterday, and uh, there was a, a gentleman there called Paul Vevers, and Paul was the deputy secretary for. Communities and services in Sydney, and he first of all started a story around the tent city, right? That happened uh, in the middle of uh, Martin Place, and how he first asked them to come up to his office, and he would deal with their issues. And of course, no one turned up to his office, so he thought, "Oh my God, what are we going to do?" So they talked with the public servants, and they put them down in and they set up a little tent office, you know, with tables and their computers and 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 then they said, oh, we'll get you into hostels. And, of course, that didn't work. No one wanted to be in a hostel with people who were homeless. Uh, but they did get them in the hotels. And anyway, there was this up and down of, of, you know, sort of trial and error of different things. And, you know, he was trying to do his best to, to really help the people who were in, that, uh, in Martin Place at that time. And it was just a, a lovely story. Now, when you share a story like that, I went around at lunchtime after this happened and I asked people, Oh, so what do you remember from the session this morning? Oh, the uh, tent city and, and how he tried to get them into hostels and that didn't, they could repeat. It was so memorable. It was mm. so, uh, it, they had a feeling attached to it, right? So that's why storytelling works, because of the, the visual elements, the emotional elements, and the fact that it's logically connected with this little cause and effect uh, trail that we have when we share a story. Yeah. By yeah. the way, none of that happens when you when you list seven dot points.
2: Let's actually define a story a bit, because actually, just the word "story" gets used a lot just in business vernacular, right? Like we need to put together this presentation. You know, what's the story here? <laughs> you know, let's make sure that we you know put together a story for this. Uh, like the the words used a lot, but probably oh, like yeah. good storytelling like isn't used, right? So, like what actually is a good story in a in a business context? Well, let me
1: start by just saying. What is a story, right? Perfect. And and I'm not, I'm not trying to make a bulletproof definition, but this is more like if I was to use this to spot a story to say, yep, that's a story. No, that's not a story, right? And really there's, there's four things it has to really have or give you indicators of whether you've got a story. First of all, nearly every story starts with a time marker, right? So as soon as you say, hear someone say, oh, yeah, just the other day I was at a conference or... Back in 2011, we had this change happen, or um, in March, as soon as you hear any of those sort of words, you're about to hear a story, right? So if you want to tell a story, you start with a time marker. Then the second thing that all stories have, it has to be events. This happened, then that happened, then that happened, right? This happened, oh, but then that happened, and as a result, that happened, And, oh, my God, then that happened, and therefore that happened. It's sort of more cause and effect events, right? Mm. And then the third element is it's always got a character. And then finally, there has to be something in it that's unanticipated. And there is a group of people out there probably thinking, oh, but, you know, isn't a story a hero that has a, uh, you know, sort of a challenge and overcomes a challenge? Right. That's your typical Hollywood understanding of storytelling, right? It comes from the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell and all that sort of work. I'm not interested in that because that's not how people tell stories in organizations. They don't have beautifully crafted stories like that. Um, I say unanticipated because there's a bunch of stories that don't have a challenge. You just think of uh, stories about uh, coincidences, Mm. right? There's no challenge. We love those stories, by the way. We love a coincidence story, Mm. um, but it doesn't have those elements. So they're the four things, time marker, events, character, and uh, something unanticipated. To make it a better story, I mean, there's a bunch of things you can do. Like, for example, there is a set of topics that humans can't help but be interested in. And at the very top of the list is anything to do with death,
2: Mm. Right. So
1: when someone dies or even maybe if they get harmed badly, right, mm. we are very interested. That makes a good story because we're sort of hardwired to want to know how they died. Yeah. Right. Because we want to avoid that. Mm. It's a great tactic. The second one is anything to do with safety of children, right? So we, we know that if a child gets harmed, kind of goes to the top of the news cycle. Mm. Number three is
2: sex. Yeah, I was going right? to
1: say. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a bit tough to get into your organisational storytelling.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but you'd
1: be surprised. You will be surprised. Um, and then my fourth one is power. We we are very interested in hearing stories about people in power, and and you can. Have, there's lots of different types of power. There's money power, hierarchy power, uh, capability power, beauty power. Um, Because people with power can have impact on you, Mm. right? So, again, we're interested in those stories. So, I tell you what, if you can get a story with all those four things in it, I think that's called Fifty Shades of Grey or maybe (laughs) the Game of Thrones. um, uh, You know, those those types of things, has got it all, right? If you can get all of those things in it, um, you know, you've got a great story. But you know what? Stories in organisations are a lot more mundane than that. You know, you'll hear stories of people saying... I, you know, went to my boss's office and, um, you know, we, you know, he's sitting there top in his computer. But, you know what, as soon as he sees me, he stops what he's doing, He comes around, sits at the table, invites me to sit down and then just, you know, it's like I'm the only one that he cares about right at that moment. I tell you what, God, I wish more managers could do that, mm. right? That's the type of story people tell in organizations, right? And those sort of stories can actually have impact on people if told in the right way in the right situation.
0: I'd love to get an example of, um, you know, an organisational, a corporate story um, which is using some of these elements, you know, the the time markers, the events, um, characters and unanticipation um, and perhaps some of those topics you talked about, death, injury, sex power, um, to, to to communicate better with their customers and constituents.
1: Absolutely. So, earlier last year, uh, actually around about the middle of last year, uh, we got a call from one of the big banks, pretty much coincided with the Royal Commission, right? And one of the things that came out of that whole experience uh, was that at the front line, you know, when when you go into a branch of a bank, uh, one of the things I discovered that was causing lots of problematic customer experience behaviour was that the bank employees were incented to sell certain things, Right, mortgages, mortgage insurance, uh, etc., and so it created this crazy behaviour in there that wasn't good for anyone. So they decided, well, they were given the directive that they had to take away all uh, incentives from the front line. And you can imagine, you know, if you're a senior leader in in a bank, you're thinking, gee, how do we keep people motivated when there's no incentives, no financial incentives? Well, they Switched to going from these explicit incentives to implicit ones, ones where they wanted to connect the day to day to the bigger purpose of the bank. And working with the bank, we convinced them that one way to do that is to share stories. So, what we did was we ended up training about 1,800 branch managers you know, across all of Australia to just find and tell customer impact stories on a regular basis. And the way it was done, and there was just some small things that made a big difference here. The first thing is that they had to use those four elements to work out whether they had a story or not. And so they got very good at doing that very quickly. But the thing that made the big difference was actually using the names of their customers, or if they couldn't use the names because of privacy, that they used any other name. Just by doing this, they went from sort of being very transactional with their customers to being relational. You know, a typical, situation before they did this is that we had a, a customer come into the branch the other day and um, he was looking for a mortgage and, uh, you yeah, we sold the mortgage and, oh, by the way, we sold a mortgage insurance and they are all high-fiving each other, you know, because this is a big thing. Um, and fast forward to what they're doing now, the sort of conversation they have now is they'll say, oh, we, um, we had a customer come the other day, uh, you yeah, know, Bob, uh, you know, he's that farmer, he's about 20K out of town anyway, he was in the other day his thrasher has sort of fallen over. He's, he's got a big wheat crop he's trying to get in. And anyway, we did some leasing to, to get a new gear out to him. And anyway, I was chatting to him just the other day, popped in again. And uh, anyway, they got the whole crop in bumper crop. And so all of a sudden they're, they're talking about the people, they're talking about their work, they're talking about how they're making a difference in their community. This thing has gone viral in this organisation, Right. And the nice thing is that their engagements and scores have gone up, their worry that they were going to lose uh, revenue out of this was totally taken away because they kept on, you know, performing well in their branches, all through just changing the way they talked about the customers by using stories. Now, it wasn't that we were saying, here is the story you have to tell, right? The thing that we were doing is just saying, okay, you've got lots of stories out there. Why don't you share uh, these stories? and and do a bit more than just share the stories. Talk about what you're learning about the people based on these stories. That's where the real power comes from, actually.
2: How do you go from an environment, let's take it a sales environment, where it's very much around getting that transaction or getting that commitment, whatever it may be, and then celebrating and then rewarding based on that? Um, how do you get to a point where the conversation is around the stories? Because you have systems that Log transactions. You have, you know, processes that do like. There's no system for, you know, uh, plug this into the CRM about the backstory. <laughs> um, so, like, how does it how does it practically come to life?
1: One of the big practicalities was having a royal commission saying you cannot do this anymore. You can't. So they were forced in this situation. Uh, the reason why we suggested this approach is that we we're inspired by what hotels do for their customer service programs. The Ritz-Carlton really started it probably about 15 years ago. And I remember coming across the Ritz-Carlton approach for storytelling, uh, which just blew me away. What they do is that they ask the whole network of hotels to submit uh, stories of great customer service. And then the HR team actually goes through all those stories that really illustrates obviously the values or some element they're trying to get across to the organisation. And then they take that one story and they push it out to all the teams to talk about in their huddles. They do this every week and they share the story and then they ask four questions. First question is, uh, so what's significant about that story? And the, the people in the huddle will say things like, you know what, they would have never been able to do that unless they'd have done the X, Y, Z training, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. You need to do the X, Y, Z training to do that. And then someone else jumps in and goes, yeah, but clearly they've got the, the support of the boss, right? You can't just race off and do that unless the support, you know, the boss is backing you up. And what they're doing in this conversation is they're working out for themselves how to deliver great customer service without being given a bunch of thou shalt do X Y and Z they're working it out for themselves there's no inspirational poster you know and there's no acronym you know built out of the word success or anything like that right it's none of that it's just them sharing stories and talking about it so they do that and then they'd ask questions like um, oh, is, so has anyone seen this happen around our area and so go oh yeah did you see what Sarah did she did this very similar thing just two weeks ago and what they're doing there is that they're going, hey, we can do this. We're already doing it. So it kind of brings that to life for them. Anyway, so to take them through these steps and it just starts to create meaning at the front line. The real challenge, I think, is there is a point where someone is measured on revenue, right, and someone is measured on you know, some of these hard numbers. And so a lot of it is just how that middle management has to, do this really interesting dance between the hard numbers that the senior guys are are wanting and what they know they need to do at the front line to inspire, to connect to purpose, to you know sort of create the best possible customer experience they can. And they know it's not by driving the numbers through because that created the wrong behavior.
2: You know, that totally makes sense. Um, thanks for taking us through that, Sean. One of my questions is how do you actually get the front line and just broad teams into the motion of storytelling. Um, so, I suppose there's one way of like h- how to capture it well and how to like sort of gather around the, the corporate campfire, if you will, and share these stories. But um, how do you actually get this this started?
1: Look, for you know, for this particular bank, um, we had to run a, a series of training courses, you know, really short ones. Like that was part of their frontline training that they do every year. We were sort of doing short two-hour sessions. And in those two-hour sessions, the, the most important thing was to teach them how to spot stories, how to know the difference between a story and a non-story. It's almost like to lower the status of story, right? Because if you go around asking people to tell their story... it's a good point. People freak out, right? Yeah. They go. I don't have a story. There's no story, you know. Yeah. But if you ask them to share an example, oh no, example, I can do that. No, everyone can give an example, right? Oh, uh, when you share your example, can you just start off with a, you know, like a point in time? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, well, three weeks ago, well, I had a great example for it. You see what I mean?
2: It's true though, because like you know, even you just explaining the definition of a story. It's got to have a time marker. It's got characters, unexpected events. You know, like uh, and and it's ideally got to be about some of these like big themes. Like that's what makes a good story. And then someone and then if someone was to say, okay, we're now going <laughs> to implement storytelling. Hey, Mike, have you got a story? I'd be like, god damn! Like, what have I got in my kit bag that has a time marker and character and unexpected event? I'm sort of you know, uh, I'm sort of thinking of like, what well, if this is up to the story watermark, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you're trying to take that right out of their mind, and it's really about helping them understand what's a story kind of eliciting question, what type of question gets you stories. Well, it turns out that when and where questions get you stories, right? If you sort of say, oh, so when have we seen one of those things happen? Oh, yeah, I saw Bob do this three weeks. You know, that type of thing is very simple, very easy for people to do. Whereas, you know, Simon Sinek has made a, a whole career out of the question why which is the worst question in the world to ask to get a story. Because if you ask people why questions, they give you opinions. You know, oh, why did that happen? Well, you know, there's three key reasons why that happened, you know.
2: Yeah, or they go jump to the solution. Oh, what we need to do is we need to fix it like this. Exactly, exactly. So you've got to keep away
1: from, from that type of questions and, and just helping people that whoever's the team leader to be able to get them into that story mode. The other thing, of course, that happens when you're in a huddle and someone shares a story, it immediately is a prompter for another story. It's just like what happens at a dinner party, right? You know, it's not like you walk into the dinner party and saying, "Oh, I've got five stories I'm going to tell tonight," and uh, we're going to go. <laughs> you know, you just walk in. Someone tells a story, it reminds you of a story. It's just how it works, right?
0: Well, Sean, welcome to the quickfire round. This is our lightning game show segment where we ask quickfire questions. You've got 10 seconds to answer them each. Are you ready? Fire away. Your first question is, what brand do you look to as an example of great customer experience? Uh, Definitely
2: Apple. Yeah, I've had
1: lots of good experiences with Apple.
2: Fantastic. And uh, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Oh my god! I had this idea. I wanted to be a, a courier, in the sense of <laughs> I wanted I wanted to be able to put you know the the, the, the uh, have a briefcase that I could sort of lock to my arm and then travel around the world. Probably more like a diplomatic courier as opposed to right. you know a DHL courier. So uh...
0: large aspirations as a kid to be a DHL courier. Sean, what skill are you terrible at?
1: Uh, let me think about this. There's so many to choose from. That's the problem with this sort of question, right? But you know, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless at getting myself uh, you know, on time for something unless there's a lot of pressure going on. Like, you know, I need deadlines. I'm one of these people. If I don't have deadlines and someone's badgering for me, I have a bit of a manana uh, approach to life.
2: <laughs> what are you reading right now, Sean?
1: Well, I'm actually reading a book called Annie's Box. Okay. It sounds a bit bizarre, and it's, uh, it's actually a story of uh, Charles Darwin, but sort of starting off with his daughter, she has this box of material that she had, and it sort of uses these artefacts to weave its way into Charles Darwin's life. I must admit, I'm a bit of a uh, geek for Charles Darwin. One of the things I do, I try to go to places that Charles Darwin has been, and I take photos of myself there, which is kind of weird.
0: <laughs> Who's someone that you really admire? The first person just pops in my
1: head was actually a boss that I had. His name's Dave Snowden. And Dave Snowden, I admire for his absolute amazing intellect, his ability to just open up totally new areas. He worked in IBM with me. He headed up the Kenevins Centre of Organisational Complexity. And he really taught me about storytelling. So I definitely admire Dave Snowden.
2: And what's a non-work-related thing that you're really into right now? Well... Um, I'm actually teaching myself Spanish.
1: My wife and I are doing it together and we thought we would test to see how far we've got. We've been doing it for just over a year. We put on Pepper the Pig in Spanish. We're not at Pepper the Pig level yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a great story. I love that. Sean, where do you go to
1: upskill? I probably get a lot of storytelling knowledge just by listening to business people talk and communicate and just sort of seeing how they do it so i'm a big reader and i read a lot of books and um, get a lot of uh, ideas from there and i would say the other place is um youtube
2: what is your guilty pleasure
1: oh my guilty pleasure is watching trashy tv my daughter and i (laughs) are avid Followers of Survivor, we went down to the last five oh, right. people at the moment in Australia, and you know we, we can tell you the ins and outs of Survivor, the strategies for winning the, you know predictions on who was going to win and all that sort of stuff. So guilty pleasure as charged.
0: Do you go as far as The Bachelor or uh, Married at First Sight? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I Survivor
1: is my definitely my big guilty pleasure.
0: <laughs> I wanted to. Kind of pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about how to use storytelling externally. So where you might be talking face-to-face with the customer, how do you actually use storytelling to engage them in a different way, maybe in a sales role, for example? Do you have an example you can tell us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things that a sales person needs to think about uh, in terms of you know getting to that end point of making the sale. And the first thing is actually building rapport. Because your prospect doesn't reveal anything until they can answer a couple of questions and the, the two questions that spring to mind for me is so who are you you know like what sort of character do you have what what type of person are you and why why are you here you know, why are you standing in front of me today and the sort of great way to answer that is to share a story a little bit of insight into what makes you tick right I mean I remember um, doing a project for the Australian Geological Survey Organisation, you want to sort of illustrate to the people you're talking to, you're a little bit like them, you know, um, trying to get them to take up a programme. And so I'm looking through my history, and there was a time where I did some work with a geological organisation, and and I just retold that story. And you can sort of see immediately how then they tell you a story. And it's only at that point where a story's been told and a story's been replied, for a seller that you've got rapport, right? And these stories can be really even smaller than that. They could be like, you walk in the door, you see a, you know an image of people playing soccer and you can just sort of say, oh, actually, I was at soccer just uh, on the weekend and you know tell a little story about that. And they go, oh, you, you're interested in soccer? And next thing you know, you have a bit of a soccer conversation before you get into the real business. Right? But then when you get into the, the real business, you have to understand what the challenge that they're facing. And Of course, whenever someone has a challenge, that usually means that it's a bit of a story related to that. So your job is not so much telling them a story, but actually eliciting their story. It's asking those questions to get that story from them. And so you might sort of say, oh, so you know, what was it like in the past around here?" And they'll go, "Oh yeah, in the past, you know, we worked like this." But then what happened? Oh well, yeah. So the big thing that happened was, you know, this came in, competitor came in, prices dropped. You know, these things happen. Okay, so and so, what are sort of solutions are you trying to deal with that? Oh, well, we tried this and we tried that, but it hasn't really worked. And, you know, and so you're thinking, okay, we can our solution might fit in there. And then you might ask them, okay, so what, what's the future going to look like? If you can nail this, what's it going to look like? And, and they'll sort of say, well, what we really want is you know, a situation like this, and they might tell you a scenario of the future. And then you can play it back to them. You can sort of say, so what I'm hearing is that, see, so in the past you were like this and then these things happened. And as a result of that, you're looking for a solution that does this. And actually what we do is this, this, and this, which might fit in nicely there. You know, and when we nail this for you, this is what we see the future to be like. You know, you're saying you really wanted this and this and this. So you've now told the story of the sale, Right. And if they go, yeah, you've nailed it, that's it, well, they, you know, your first big part of your job is done. But if they go, no, no, you haven't quite, a, quite a, right, you know, what really happened here? And then they tell you the next layer of depth in the story. Okay, so you, you're building this up and then what do you do? Uh, once you go through the process where they're, they're agreeing to your proposal verbally, you can say, oh, well, I'll, I'll write this up in a proposal for you. Guess how you write your proposal? Well, in the past you were like this, and then something happened, and that's why we're proposing this so your future can be like that.
0: What I love about that um, story is that, firstly, you're you're really listening, right? And which is which is a key part of sales and and um, communication, um, but one that I think we all often forget. Um, so there's a there's a key listening skill there that's um, part of that. But the second thing that I really like is that you're taking a very consultative uh, sales approach, and so. You know, you talk there about playing back the story uh, to the customer or the prospect, and then they have an opportunity to agree or give you another story to basically re- realign you. Um, and so, that's, that's actually really powerful and, um, you know, something that I think we, we all might overlook if we, we don't pay attention to it.
1: The other great thing that comes out of that is that they then have a story that they can tell back internally in the organization, which has your solution built into that story. You rarely get an opportunity where you're speaking to the one final decision maker who's going to make this all happen in one fell swoop, right? Usually, it's some person who then has to take the idea back into the organisation. And if they could tell that orally and sort of, you know, talk to another decision maker to say, yes, I met with uh, Sean and the guys at Anecdote and um, so, you know, you know how we have our situation, you know, we were like this in the past, you know, you go through it. And the person goes, yeah, look, they understand us. They clearly understand us. And when the proposal arrives and it has the same structure, the same story, they go, they've nailed this. So you're going through that. You're reinforcing it at all sorts of different levels. That's some elements of what you need to do. The other big element in the sales process is your ability to tell success stories. So stories of where your company has done great work. And it's a pretty simple formula. These are the sort of things that, in anecdote, you know, we've got um, two books. Our principals have, have written, I wrote one called Putting Stories to Work. Mike Adams has written one called The Seven Stories Every Salesperson Should Tell. And in those are these patterns, these story patterns that you use in both selling and leadership sort of uh, situations. So that's what we're drawing on here. It's 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 not an ad hoc approach. You have to be for storytelling to work, you have to be systematic and purposeful with storytelling.:
0: You've teased me too much here. What's the formula for the success story? <laughs>
1: the success story pattern? Okay, so it works like this. Um, first of all, you start off by talking about the challenge that you're facing and you know the difficulty that was happening you know with a customer of yours, and then you talk about how they discovered your company anecdote right so ah, oh, then we found anecdote and then of course anecdote comes up with a plan that with the customer that really helps them get the, the job done but before they do that you, it's important to actually talk about the fears that they have like they sort of get, might sort of say you know we we selected anecdote but what we were really worried about was um, you know they're an Australian company and we're in you know in South America and, and do, they, do they really understand our culture Right. Because what you want to do is you want to get the objection sort of already on the table um, before you get to the end of the success story. And you sort of say, you know, Anecdote then did the work. And because they use partners around the world, they actually have a partner in South America, actually, there in Mexico, uh, guys from Astrolab, who um, did a fantastic job actually delivering the Anecdote program. And then you get to the end of the success story um, where you talk about, the you know, the benefits that came from doing this program. And you really have to do that in in metrics that sort of matter to the... To the customer, and also to the person you're talking to. So it might be, you know, it might be their promoter score, it might be revenue, it might be costs, it might be you know market share, whatever it might be. You want to sort of articulate that in something that's you know pretty clear and tangible when you get to the end of the success story.
2: This has been a fascinating conversation so far. I've got a, a page full of notes around storytelling. Yeah, I want to ask something really important, which is: let's say I'm in the customer experience team, or I'm in another team internally, and I passionately believe about maybe bringing storytelling from the field, you know, up as an example or some other customer experience initiative and need to go to senior people either to get budget or to basically sell this idea in internally. And it often starts out as a Maybe there's a slide deck that bounces around, but it's often a meeting to kick things off. I'm sort of interested, a lot of people use the language, hey, like make sure, you know, what's the story here? Like let's, you know, like people are thinking about stories, but I don't think that these pitches to get initiatives up and running internally are done particularly well relative to storytelling. What are some of your tips that you would give to, basically, if you're gonna propose or pitch an initiative um, internally, how to best use storytelling?
1: Yeah, well, it really goes back to that. uh, One of the things is use that story structure that a salesperson is using uh, to create a proposal. We call that a clarity story. And, you know, put together your pitch in such a way that you start with the story. This is the thing that I find very interesting in presentations generally, right? Our standard way of of creating a presentation is we put the argument first.
2: Oh, you pitch your reasons why we need to do this. That's right. You put your reasons. Well, guess what that does?
1: It kicks off your confirmation bias or the listener's confirmation bias. So if a leader disagrees with it, they argue to the hilt, right? They dig their heels in and they tell you all the good reasons. Then you're in an argument. When you're in an argument, you rarely win when someone else has got power.
2: Or worse, they keep it to themselves and then say the nice, polite things and then your initiative never gets approved.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you're wondering what happened. What you need to do is you take your stories, your case studies, your success stories, and put them up the front, and you might use that clarity story structure to sort of start off by saying something like, um, we really think that you know, we need to do X, Y, and Z, but let me put this in context for you. That's all you have to say. And he sort of says, look, in the past, you know, we were like this and we did this the way and, it, you know, it was good back then, but, you know, but then some things have changed in our world, right? These things have changed, etc. So you go through that process. But here's an even better approach, right, is you co-create that story with those people. That's what you're doing with the, the prospect in the sales process. You're co-creating the story with the, with the prospect, but that's what you do inter- can do internally with your, with your senior leaders.
2: Yeah. Is there a good structure for that? Like for that?
1: It's exactly the same structure and, and it's the clarity story structure. It's in the past, it was like this, then something happened, so now we should do this so the future can be like that.
2: Sounds like a startup pitch. <laughs> it is. It is. That's the formula. It's a startup it's a formula pitch. that we use in startup land. Right.
1: Interesting. Friend of mine is a pitch doctor for advertising agencies, and I. And I had dinner with him the other night. He said, the problem with a lot of the advertising agencies is that they think in big S storytelling, you know, Hollywood storytelling. And they want to do these beautiful things, but they leave their case studies to the end. You know, they're sort of great stories that they have about good things that they've done. And he was saying to them, no, no, you got to move those to the front. That's what I'm talking about here is you move your stories to the front. And then you put your argument and your data and all the other things you need after that. I'll give you another example of a company that does this very well, right? So we've just engaged to employ a new guy, started up our Sydney office, Paul Chilchik. And Paul's come from Amazon. And Amazon are famous for what they call the six-page narrative memo. And you know, when there's a big decision to be made, not actually just about any decision in the company, there's a story-based narrative memo that's written. And then when they get the decision makers in the room they have to sit there and all read the memo. There's no PowerPoint deck, right? They all read the memo. And at the bottom of the memo is all these appendices, which you've got all the numbers and stuff like that. But the, the memo, they read that first. So they're all on the same page before they have a conversation on whether they what they do next. And really, there's only three decisions uh, that they can make. It's either, yes, we're doing it, no, we're not doing it, or we have to reschedule this meeting. That's how they run Amazon. So... I think this is, this is part of it. I, I, would, I would really love to see more and more organizations move away from PowerPoint because, you know, the problem with PowerPoint is you put your first slide up and some senior leader uh, has this great idea because they've seen something on your first slide that reminds them of something or other or they have a question. And next thing you know, your whole presentation is derailed. Whereas if they all have to read the memo from beginning to end, they get all the information it's like you get to listen to the whole presentation before anyone starts the conversation.
2: You have a podcast, which is fantastic, where you basically um, find stories and, and then highlight those stories. Yes. Of the, the, all the episodes that you've done and all the stories that you've heard and told, what would you say has been your favourite story from your podcast so far? <laughs>
1: well, actually, my favourite story is um, it was the story about the Citibank skyscraper in New York that had a potential of collapsing. Because it was so famous at the time, it became the study topic for a whole bunch of university students. And this one university student uh, was looking at the wind flows that went around the building. And they did some calculations and they said that with the sort of winds that can fly through New York at times, this building actually had a possibility of collapsing so this student just rings the head engineer and says you know this is what's potentially going to happen well of course the engineer doesn't believe it right i mean he's, he's one of the best in the in the world sort of thing and so he kind of hangs up on the student doesn't get his name doesn't get his university so we never know anything about that poor student um, but to his credit he starts to ask some questions and one of the questions was there was a whole bunch of. Um, structure that had to be uh, done in a particular way you know using bolts and he found out that the builders didn't use bolts they used uh, like the equivalent of a welded rivet as opposed to a bolt so he went and took all this information he went to a particular modeling company it was up in Canada they started doing this really advanced modeling and lo and behold the building was going to fall down he thought, oh, my God, this is like the end of his career. He goes up to his cabin. Uh, he's got a cabin up in the woods. He's more or less thinking, I might as well just take my life because this is the end of my career and I can't face the world. But to his credit, he sort of, he, he gathers himself together and says, no, I can't do that. There's too many people at risk. So he goes down and he immediately contacts the architect. Uh, the architect gets in contact with city, city corp. They get the insurance people involved and they come up with a plan to actually replace all of those welded rivets with the bolts. And and it takes a whole year to do it. And it happens, uh, they have like an external structure and there's an internal structure and they work inside this internal structure from like eight o'clock at night to six in the morning every day for a year to reconstruct this building. And they did it. And there was no lawsuits. There was no, uh, you know, sort of uh, retribution. Um, it still stands. It is still regarded as, you know, one of the great buildings of New York. And, um, and all because an engineer had the guts to, you know, sort of face up to his his problems and actually collaborated with people to get the job done. <laughs> That's a hell of a story. Isn't it? It's a great story. Now, the funny thing is when I told that story on our podcast, um, anecdotally speaking, my business partner. We always rate our stories. My business partner rated it as a 3.
2: A 3 out of 10. <laughs> Man, how's his expectations? I should never present to him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think he, he I think he rated it low because he couldn't think how he would tell it. Oh, right? Like okay. what situation would you tell it in? Anyway, the reason I like it so much is that one of our customers rang us and said how much they love that story because it became emblematic of how collaboration should work in their organization. And they would tell that story as a way of uh, tackling problems, insurmountable problems.
2: <laughs> so actually on that point, um, what you're talking about here is that there's maybe a story, something that happened in history or something you know dramatic to highlight or to set up the conversation for this is why team collaboration is important as an example. And out of interest, like, where's the best way to find, like if if you were to do a talk on something and you're like, oh, I need a, like, let's, let's, you know, have a good dramatic external story to highlight the importance of X, uh, which is different from the other stories that we, we spoke about. Um, how, how do you go about finding, you know, these Citibank-type stories?
1: The great thing now is the business books are all story-based. But the thing is, you never find the story when you want it. So you've got to become a story collector. You've got to be preempting this, knowing that at some point in the future you might need a story so you have to start building your own story bank and, and start using Evernote and tagging them around the sort of things that you might need. And once you've told them a few times, it's really interesting. You only have to tell a story about three times and it's there forever. And it pops out. Like if someone said to me, yeah, but you know, can you really stop a skyscraper from falling over or where does collaboration really make a difference? The Citibank story pops in my head and I have a choice to whether I tell it or not. You know, Steve Denning, who really kicked off the whole business storytelling movement, if you like, he calls it the secret language of leadership because the best leaders know that the way you get through is by sharing a real-life example, by sharing a story like that because people remember that, you know, they feel it in some ways.
0: That's perfect. And, and what a wonderful way to finish up, Sean. Uh, thank you uh, so much for sharing your wisdom, um, for teaching us a few new stories, as well as the framework in which we should tell them. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: It was a pleasure. Great chatting to you guys.
0: Well, Michael, what a fantastic oh, episode with Sean, the... <laughs> The pressure is on for us here uh, because um, Sean delivered the goods with regards to many, many stories in the episode about storytelling, how meta, of course. Um, so, now we have to sum that up and, and deliver our best story
2: takeaways. So, uh, <laughs> let's do that. So, this um, this episode came about uh, about a year ago. I'd, I'd come across Sean's profile and what the, the team's doing and listen to their podcast. And I said to Adam, hey, like, we should have these guys on the show because there's just so much goodness and so much uh, good value in it. And... To be honest, like I didn't quite know how it related to customer experience, so this was very much a, a selfish uh, Michael show that wanted to just learn about good storytelling. Um, and actually, that sort of then leads me to the first takeaway, which was a surprise for me, which was just how important storytelling is uh, for customer experience in two lenses. One better engagement with our customers when we, you know, sales process or what have you, when we go uh, through the storytelling methods. And then two, I couldn't help but think how many great customer experience initiatives have died or have never gotten off the ground, most likely because of a pitch that could have been done better internally. Like we can't help but often just put the facts and figures first. You know, if we'd use this this formula and this method, how much better customer experience initiatives could be out there in the world? Mm, I completely agree with that. The
0: second takeaway that I want to talk about is um, how to structure a story. Uh, and so we talked about this early on in our discussion with Sean, the the, the, the story elements, basically. Um, so there was four of them. The first is to start with a time marker. So, Michael, what I love about your little story there was you started about a year ago when uh, I came across this guy, Sean. Uh, So, start with a time marker or a place marker. Mm -hmm. The second is focusing on events. um, And so, that helps carry the, the listener through the story. A story always has to have a character, so that's the third um, point of, uh, of this. And then the fourth point is it needs to have some sort of unanticipated element, um, which is kind of like the payoff, right? Like that's the kicker as part of the story. So those are the four elements of a story, and it's really easy to see how you can actually apply that model to to giving examples of stories that you come across in your life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's that's a great uh, that's a great summary of of the structure of a story. The the third takeaway for me was that often when I think of like storytelling and business i think of how it helps you with the pitch right so this is a classic way of doing a startup pitch and you know an initiative pitch but actually one of the big takeaways for me was just how practical the use of stories can be on the front line and the story that he mentioned about this bank that wanted to or had to move away from a sales culture of celebrating you know ringing the bell and and closing the deals to bringing the customer stories to life was just such a great example of how powerful storytelling can be to really drive cultural change, especially cultural change around customer experience. So, that was a a big takeaway for me.
0: Yeah, and it's great because it works on both sides when you're talking directly to a prospect or a customer, but it also works internally when you're trying to sell an initiative up the chain or or build the culture around this. So, um, it's really versatile. Mm. The fourth takeaway from this episode... Was that we need to take the pressure off um, the word story a little yes, bit. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, yes. That was a big takeaway for me as well.
0: It's so easy to go, oh, great. So, you know, we come out of this uh, this episode thinking we need to use more stories and then you go, well, where are they? How do I find them? How do I tell them? And it's just so much pressure. Um, so, I really love that we address this and-, and Sean said, just think of an example about a time that something's happened. One might be... Tell me an example of uh, a time when you've given great service to a customer. And there's probably 20 examples of that that you can think in your mind and you go, okay, great. Now, let's just put the story structure elements to that. So, start off telling it with a with a time period, focus on characters, uh, make sure there's events and have some sort of unanticipated uh, element to it. And then you've got your story, right?
2: And what I, what I particularly liked about it was that it was like, how, how do you actually just get started? Just actually ask... Uh, the question starting with when or where. Yeah. you know. So when was there an example of this or where have has there been an example of this? <laughs> You've already given the, the time marker ready to go. And I think there's actually a good way if someone comes to you with a problem or someone comes to you with selling the solution, like, hey, we've got this problem, I think we need to do this initiative, then you can actually dig deeper by getting them into storytelling mode. So you can actually kickstart someone into storytelling mode to go, huh, that's an interesting thing. Hey, before we explore this potential solution or before we explore this initiative, can you tell me about uh, when there's been an example of where this problem has really, you know, hurt us or where this problem has been really painful for you and the team.
0: Or, or the opposite. Tell me an example of uh, when we've been able to overcome this problem in the past because that's like a little ray of hope and an example that they can use to, um, you know, drive that initiative forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Adam, when do you have an example of us uh, talking for too long on a long episode <laughs> where the, the takeaways could go on could go on for a long time? Um, yeah, so there, there are four great takeaways. i I'll give just one one bonus uh, takeaway, which I w- wasn't expecting, and and that is actually just the value of having a story bank. Um, I've been freshly inspired. Um, I, I, I love Seth Godin's content and, and one of the things that he always does is he seems to have some banging story um, about a wooden aeroplane and, the, and then how that then ties into you know, the topic and I was like, oh man, like, I love this idea of being a better communicator both internally and externally and actually if you do look at what the best communicators do is that they have you know these, these great um, stories and so um, that was sort of the pro tip of uh, building out your story bank.
0: Yeah, and you can start slowly and, and start to just build it bit by bit which I like. Great. Well, wonderful show um, with four takeaways plus a bonus,
2: so we'll call it five. Let's sum them up. The first one is think of storytelling not as a luxury, but a critical element of improving customer experience. Takeaway number two is
0: really the story 101. Um, Make sure you tell stories with the four elements. The third is encourage customer stories on the front line. Takeaway number four is let's take away the pressure of finding a great story and just focus
2: on finding great examples. No, I love that. And then finally, as you become a story pro, build out your story bank. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for
0: tuning in. Um, Another great episode. If you'd like to connect with Michael or myself, you can find us both on LinkedIn. We'll pop a link to both of our profiles in
2: the episode notes. Yeah, and you can send us a message about anything, by the way. Like, if you've got an idea for a guest, you've got some feedback about the show, even if you just want to say, hey, like, love, love the show, um, we engage with everyone that sends us a message. So, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, I was having a great conversation with uh, a couple of people last week um, about some guest and topic suggestions they have. So, keep them coming. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is produced by Rate It, the new and better way to listen to your customers. Rate It is an omnichannel way to capture, analyze and interpret customer feedback and to help you act on what needs improving to grow your business. So to learn how Rate It can help you improve your organization's customer experience, head to the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P dot com. This show is made in partnership with Wavelength Creative. Our music is by iColics, Peter Cooley and The Shrugs. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey, and I'll speak to you next time.